Thank you for supporting the podcast by buying a copy of this book, The Raven Throne, available on Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, Apple, and pretty much anywhere ebooks are sold. It's also available in paperback. Email me at podcast at ericedstrom.com. Chapter 2. The Purpose of Prophecy There was almost always a strong wind in the morning, especially in Grissonside. That morning, it rushed from the ocean, laden with warm moisture unusual this close to winter night. Kyla stood atop the bell tower, holding an urn full of ashes. The voluptuary, Sens Rena, Sens Beth, Fintasong, Yika, and the boys crowded in with her. The voluptuary spoke words. Finta spoke words. The boys spoke words. But Kyla said nothing. She removed the lid, tipped the vessel over the railing, and poured Wen into the breeze. Ollie was not there. Lop says Ollie doesn't think Wen is in that jar. He's gone already, so there's nothing to see but ash. Kyla felt the same way. Wen was not his body, and his body had barely been part of him, not since the sickness had come over him. She wanted to remember the lithe, fast, stealthy Wen. The one who loved her without sugary words, but with a gleam of pride in his eyes as he watched her master new skills. She would remember Wen's keen insight, his uncanny ability to plan a theft. She would remember how he called her sister when upset with her. And she would always remember the dream they'd shared of setting up as legitimate recovery agents to get back what had been stolen from others. Father's dream had become Wen's dream had become hers. It's odd how you can remember the future, isn't it? She said to nobody in particular. Not what will happen, but what you wanted to happen. She thought remembering that future, now permanently lost, would ache in her chest far longer than memories of the painful past. You could lose gold, money, even friends, and time would numb it. But when you lose the future, you have lost hope, and there is no balm for that. The ashes poured into the wind and fluttered away along the divide and over the northern stretches of Grissonside. Some swarmed against the starside wall and floated to the west bunk, the fortress of the watch. Some swirled over the manses of the radiancies. Some wound around the tower and wafted to settle atop shop roofs. Kyla supposed some would even fall into sewer grates and rest in thinny tunnels. Others would coat the streets and be trod upon by Atlin's pulling carriages. Wen was everywhere now, and nowhere. Nowhere like Kyla. Later, she found herself in the library of the novitiate's ward, sitting in an overstuffed leather chair, books all around her. The hearth, from which she and Rajan had once climbed to the roof, was ablaze with a roaring winter fire. Rajan sat across from her, gaze lost in the middle distance. He had kindly not offered soft words of sympathy. She didn't think she could bear his pity. It was bad enough that the sensuals all gave her the worried brow look, as if she were a lost child. We need to talk, came a voice from behind her. The voluptuary dismissed Rajan with a look. He touched Kyla's shoulder, then departed. The voluptuary arranged herself in his seat, 
Her stout face was haggard, her black and gray hair pulled back more severely beneath her jeweled headpiece. Bare shins showed beneath the hem of her multi-layered robes, spider-webbed with purple veins. She leveled a hard stare at Kyla. We must talk about the Donesmaster who accosted you when you last confronted the Hargath. I have already questioned both boys. She was referring to Don Eples, a Donesmaster master who had witnessed her ashing of the Thinnies. He'd gone mad and insisted she was the foretold destroyer of the world known as Dem Kisk. He had tried to kill her, but Henley had saved her. He said I was Dem Kisk, Kyla whispered. She lifted her gaze to meet the voluptuaries. Am I? The fact that the woman didn't answer immediately told Kyla enough. Then I should be locked up. Or... No. Never speak such goose-headed idiocy again. Don't let such thoughts into your mind. Rena, be a sweetie and fetch me a copy of Exine's notes on the prophecies. Kyla hadn't noticed the placid-faced sensual's presence, but in less than a minute the requested book was placed in the voluptuary's hands, and the sensual had retreated to the shadows. Kyla didn't entirely trust the voluptuary. She didn't entirely trust anyone. But the voluptuary had helped her and when. And the woman hated the Hargath. That made them allies in at least one thing. The woman thumbed through the tome until she found the page she wanted. She read, Of the prophecy of Dem Kisk, what is truly known? Ask any good man or good wife, and one is likely to hear the way of Till's interpretation. He will come to decide the end of the world. But in the text there is no mention of such a decision. The prophecy, if it even is such, only tells us how we will know Dim Kisk. It speaks in imagery most dire, but what a muddle it is. And so we return to our initial discussion in chapter one of this disquisition. What is the purpose of prophecy? I submit, again, that it is not to forewarn us or to prepare us to do something about the future. The purpose of prophecy is to signal to us that the foretold time is upon us. Nothing more. The fulfillment affirms the word of the Theb. Nothing more. We need not fear Demkisk. In fact, we should rejoice when he or she arrives, for it will affirm the truth of the Theb and the rightness of our faith in the gods. The voluptuary closed the book and folded her hands atop it. Exine was a farmer but his thinking on the purpose of prophecy is the clearest and most reasonable I have encountered. It is, of course, considered heresy by the way of Till. In answer, Kyla recited, You will know Demkisk by the flames, by the charred bone, by the ash. That sounds like what I did to the Thinnies. Before you were born, the warehouses at the bottom of Terracite burned. Flame, charred bone, and ash? Did that signal Demkisk? But what if I am the one foretold? A fair and reasonable question, one I have pondered for a time. At first I was convinced you should remain here and study. 
Now that Gulsoy is ash upon the wind, I do not think there is anyone here qualified to instruct you. That is why I encourage you to go to the garden. Carla blinked. The garden? Don Marlowe and Hyas Benel said the same. The garden was an island in the Anson Ocean, far to the south. There, the three seats of the Triumvirate existed outside the control of any nation. The voluptuary tapped the book with a stubby forefinger. You would be welcomed into Ori's home, where you could train in safety, and the scholars there may have deeper insights into the question of Demkisk. And if I say no? The voluptuary's fingers stroked the book on her lap. The woman's eyes fell on Kyla's queller. I'm mostly concerned about your safety, child. Don Yipples must be somewhere, lying in wait. I have Yika out searching for him, but it's interesting how swiftly he vanished from the Hargoth script. The woman's eyelids lowered as she watched Kyla. You yourself vanished once. Have you forgotten? The fire suddenly failed to keep Kyla's skin warm. You mean he deminced, don't you? You're saying a domain took him. You do know someone who consorts with Domain, Don Marlowe. Kyla knew where he was hiding, the great black space with the columns, the Durslin wheel. I can't imagine Marlowe wanting to be saddled with a madman like Yeeples. Perhaps you're right. Maybe Don Yeeples is locked back in his cell. All I know is he is a danger to you. The Hargath, too. The voluptuary stood. That's why I've booked passage for you on Sparrow, a fast ship owned by Reginald's father. The voyage to the garden takes only two months. The garden is lovely. I believe you will thrive there after a time. And what if I refuse to go? The woman's face didn't change, remaining stern and handsome and outwardly calm, but her voice hardened. You will go. The voluptuary left, and Senzrena went with her. Once alone, Kyla stood and began to pace. She didn't fear the voluptuary's implicit threat. They could try to hogtie her and throw her aboard a ship, but they had better be certain to quell her if they did it. Kyla had a knack with the Mercus when she got desperate enough, but such thoughts didn't come with much heat, because she didn't feel much at all. Even the grief of sending Wen into the wind had dulled, and that only revealed a deeper misery. Nax was gone, the bond stripped away by the Hargath. Kyla felt hollowed out, but now she knew what she had to do, thanks to the voluptuary. That talk of dimensing had sparked an idea. Kyla had to find Marlow, which meant she had to get back to the Durslin Wheel. Though she'd walked out of that strange dark cavern under her own power, she'd been bagged and dragged into a cart before she'd discovered where in the city she was. There was only one way to find out. She needed to find the strong man who worked for Marlow, a heavy-handed man called Grigg.